Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Like double dog dare you? Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what? No you know? It's a Monday edition of PFT PM. Technically, PFT AM. We're still off on NBCSN until next Monday, so we'll be back before you know it. I can't wait to be back. I've, I've, I've got withdrawal. I, I want to be back. I want to be doing the show every morning, and this is the next best thing, having a chance to talk about the various issues happening in the NFL. I miss Chris, though, and we'll be back again in just seven days. The big news, obviously, this Monday, Washington changing their name Sort of. You know, the news came out over the weekend that the name change was imminent. Not an announcement that the name will eventually change, but an actual change of the name. That's what was expected. We got a curveball from the franchise on Monday morning when the statement, which was plastered with the current logo and name, announced that the name eventually will be retired at some point down the road when they actually pick a new name. So, You know, there was some inconsistent reporting. There'll be a name change as of Monday. No, the old name is going to be retired as of Monday. The truth ultimately was nothing has happened by way of changing the name other than the announcement that at some point down the road, the name will change. Frankly, it feels like one last act of defiance by owner Daniel Snyder. Kicking and screaming, he goes into all caps, never o'clock, when the name will change. I mean, let's take a step back and think about it. Whatever you think about the name, whether you think it's perfectly fine, you think it honors Native Americans, whether you think it needs to be changed and whether you think it should have been changed years ago, there is something odd about acknowledging that the name needs to go, but still keeping the name, isn't it? And I'm going to be very interested to see who in the media continues to use the name that the team has essentially admitted is not an appropriate name. And I threw that out there on Twitter and people were like, they haven't admitted anything. Well, yes, they have. What, what, what have they declared victory and retreated? They have given it up. The only reason they're giving it up is because they are getting pressure from sponsors to give it up. And the reason they're getting pressure from sponsors to give it up is because the name is inappropriate. The name is a dictionary-defined racial slur. And in this extended moment of racial reckoning and awakening in America, this is something that had to happen. It's a no-brainer. It had to happen. Now, why isn't it happening right now? It isn't happening right now because they don't have a new name ready. One of the reasons they don't have a new name ready is because they've been screwing around when it comes to trademark rights. We had a story yesterday regarding all of the squatters out there who have filed for trademark protection for names that could become alternative names for the Washington franchise. And other than an effort to squat on Warriors years ago that, according to a recent report, the franchise has abandoned, which means someone else now holds those rights, there's nothing out there suggesting that the team has laid any foundation for trying to get the appropriate protections for a new name and a new logo. And it's both the name and the logo that are going away. Surely they're going to try to get this done before training camp opens. How awkward this is. To make it clear the name is going to change, but to still keep the name. You've got to accelerate this effort. And 
My guess is there are some people in league circles that are surprised by this development. The way this all got started on Saturday, Charles Robinson was on radio with Clarence Hill in Dallas, and Charles said the name – come on, Macy. Charles, Charles said the name change is imminent and that teams have been instructed to be ready to scrub the old name off of their websites. Well, if the new name isn't changing, if the new name is going to remain in place until – I mean, if the old name is going to remain in place until the new name is selected, there's no reason to say any of that. My guess is, and it's a somewhat informed guess, that Snyder went a little rogue here, keeping the name until the new name is selected. Regardless, it should not take long. And I think, if anything, this posture, this strange posture that Snyder has tried to assume will result in even more pressure to move quickly to get this done. Write whatever check you have to write. Do whatever you have to do to get the trademarks for the name that you have chosen and then move forward. I also thought it was odd. A couple of other things from the press release. First, Dan Snyder and Ron Rivera are the two coming up with the new name. I didn't know Ron Rivera was an expert in branding football teams. I thought he was an expert in coaching football teams. How does this responsibility get thrust onto the head coach of the team who's never even coached a practice for the franchise. Are you kidding me? Why is Dan Snyder using Ron Rivera in this capacity? I'm not saying Ron's not ultimately equipped to do it, but he's ultimately not equipped to do it. He's no more equipped to pick a new brand than I am, than any fan is. I, I, I don't get it. Now, hopefully that's just the posture they're taking publicly and that behind the scenes they're working with all the appropriate experts, but I, I'm not ready to concede any points when it comes to this franchise because as we always say, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. And when you look at that statement that was issued today, it is oozing with dysfunction. And take a closer look at the rattling off of the various constituents that will be considered as the team pivots to a new name. Sponsors are listed before fans. Sponsors are listed before fans. Feels like a little bit of a subtle middle finger to the sponsors for being the ones who have forced this. And regardless, it's happening. Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Why are you doing it in kind of a half-assed way? Why are you just not ripping the whole name off and leaving it blank? Who cares if there's not a name there? Nothing's happening right now. Training camp doesn't open until July 28th at the earliest. Get the name selected, get rid of the old name, and get a new name in place. One last point. And this is something we're going to be writing about at PFT. I heard about this over the weekend. And we need to give credit where credit is due. Apparently, I'm told, per sources, the commissioner was heavily involved in pushing and pushing and pushing behind the scenes to get Snyder to do this. We always thought that what would happen is there would be a group of owners who would go to Dan and basically say, it's time. Like in the early 70s when... The group of Republican politicians went to Nixon and said, it's time, something like that. But that didn't have to happen. No other owners had to get their hands dirty here. Roger Goodell, fulfilling his duties as the world's highest paid pincushion, taking on the responsibility of being the one who told Dan Snyder what he needed to hear. So between Goodell from above and Ron Rivera from beneath, Malachi Crunch, timely reference for those of you out there who grew up in the 70s, not so timely for anyone else. But the Malachi crunch results in Dan Snyder finally crying uncle and saying that he will do what he had said in 2013 
he would never do, which is change the name. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to gloat over this. It's something that needed to happen. It was the right thing to do. It's been the right thing to do for a long time. I'm glad that it's finally happened. I'm not going to get into the, why did it take you so long to do this? They're doing it. I don't like the fact that they're announcing that they're doing it, but not doing it yet. But soon enough, it will be gone and a new name will be in its place and we'll see what it is. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On Monday, the NFL and the NFL Players Association continuing their dialogue on the rules for football in a pandemic. And there was a little bit of a dust up on social media on Friday when NFL media tried to characterize it as basically done. Just a few more issues to resolve. No, not a few more issues to resolve. What they did was they went through and they hammered out the easy issues. The big issues still remain. Big issues include what will the testing procedures be? Will it be daily? The players want testing to be done on a daily basis. The league wants it to be less frequent. And I was told Friday they are soon to be grappling with an issue of draining the resources in hotspot cities where the virus is currently spreading unchecked. How do you ensure that you get all of your players and coaches and other necessary staff tested on a daily basis with a 24-hour minimum turnaround? How do you do that? Or 24-hour maximum turnaround? How do you do that when everybody else has to wait five to seven days to get their results? There will be an appearance of special treatment. There will be an appearance of, of inequality here. And it was NFLPA Executive Director Demora Smith who said back in April, look, whatever we do, we can't be draining the resources that would otherwise be available to the public. Now, in Orlando, the NBA has set up a system where they're getting all of their people tested without putting any strain on the local resources. Basically, the Orlando residents are getting the same turnaround as the NBA players are getting. The problem is the NFL teams are not operating in one city. The NFL teams are spread over 30 cities. And you've got hotspots right now like Dallas, Houston, Miami, Phoenix, LA. How do you get 24-hour turnaround for those teams when they are operating in locations where there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people living there, potentially infected, potentially wanting to be tested, how do you make sure that you're not putting an undue strain on those resources? That is something the NFL and the NFLPA will have to tackle if they go with everyday testing. And they need to go with everyday testing. You have to have everyday testing. 
I thought by the time we got to August and September, and I think others in positions of power, unlike me in the NFL, believed that by the time we got to August and September, you'd be able to do a quick swab of the inside of the mouth. And within 15, 20, 30 minutes, an hour at most, you would know whether you were positive or negative. If we're looking at 24 hours at best, and, and you factor in the reality of false negatives, look, one, I, I firmly believe the NFL is determined to go forward with football season. Firmly believe it. One of the things that could make it all collapse like a Jenga tower is an outbreak that happens because somebody slips through the cracks either with a false negative or in that 24 hours between test and result develops not necessarily symptoms, but is in a position where they are shedding virus and they end up on a field, practice field or game field. That's the concern. And then the virus spreads. Now, remember, they're banking on this idea that when they're on a practice field, open air or a very high roof like there is in a dome stadium, it will be harder to transmit the virus than it is in a contained space. They're banking on that being the truth. You're going to have a couple thousand players who end up being the guinea pigs in that experiment. If we can't ensure before anyone goes onto a field that they are definitely negative, and I don't think we're going to be at a point by July 28 or two months from today when the first Sunday of the season rolls around where we can reliably say that everyone who walks onto a field to play football will definitely be negative for the virus. Issues that need to be resolved preseason. Union wants two games. No, let me try that again. Union wants no games. League wants two games. Union keeps saying, why? Why are we doing this? It creates additional health risk. It puts players who may not be completely in shape because they didn't have an off-season program and many of them couldn't work out the way they wanted to. You put them in a game situation. You enhance the risk of injury. And what's the business reason for this? It's not like you're going to make any money off of the preseason games anyway. Why are you doing this? The league wants to have the opportunity to essentially conduct a couple of dry runs, home and away for each team, go through the whole procedures, do it once before you're doing it in the confines of a game that counts. But that's something they need to work out. The opt-out protocol. Who will be able to choose not to play? When will you be able to make the decision? When will you have to make the decision? Will you have to show that you have some legitimate concern? Or can you just say, you know what? Subjectively, I just am not comfortable doing this. I'm going to take the year off. Those procedures still need to be worked out. Procedures for actual outbreaks in a facility. What happens if there is an outbreak? Will they shut it down? How long will they shut it down? Who do you bring in to clean it? Everything that needs to be done before the facility reopens, those are all things that need to be worked out. And then there is just the fairly minor detail of economics. Will the players give up money this year? Will the players give up money next year? How do you deal with the fact that revenue is going to drop this year and potentially impact the salary cap in a negative way come 2021? Now, the NFLPA reportedly has proposed salary cap doesn't change this year. Pay doesn't change this year. 2021 salary cap remains what it is this year, 198.2 million per team. And then whatever the losses are gets spread over the next nine seasons, basically the remaining nine years of the current labor deal, 2022 through 2030. That's what the NFLPA would like to do. Now, from the NFL's perspective, the teams incur the losses now. You're recouping the losses as far out as 2030. I don't know that they're necessarily going to go along with that, but that's part of what they're trying to work out so they can reach an agreement. So everybody comes back and not just shows up for work, but feels good about it.
See, I think this is why the NFL is being cooperative with the players. You don't want to just say, these are the rules. Too bad if you don't like them. You want the players to be all in. You want the players to feel confident. You want the players to feel comfortable. And you want the players to be inspired to do everything they have to do to remain virus-free. That's the key. And that's what the league is trying to do. Because, look, if they don't work out a deal here, there's been talk about the players going on strike or some sort of work stoppage. We've written about this, and I was told this very clearly on Friday. The players will not strike. They can't strike. If they strike, the concern is the league will say, fine. First of all, the strike's an illegal wildcat strike. Second of all, we're pulling the plug on the CBA. Because you have launched an illegal strike, we can kill the entire labor deal. The labor deal that the league would not give them now. Remember back in March when the pandemic started, but there was still that window for the players to vote in favor of the labor deal that was on the table? My position then was take the deal because if you don't, that deal's going away forever. They're going to go back and reconfigure everything and reconsider everything and recalculate everything based upon the changed circumstances. And I guarantee you, if the league had a way to get out of this current labor deal, they would. That's why the players won't strike. What would happen is this. If they reach an impasse on these procedures for returning to work, the league eventually would say, all right, hey, we can't reach an agreement. These are the rules we are going to implement. And then it would be for the union to file a grievance under the labor deal, a non-injury grievance, expedited fashion to get an arbitrator to rule on whether or not these are reasonable and safe precautions that the league is taking. So they would use a litigation tool to basically say to an arbitrator, this doesn't work. This isn't good enough. And it'll be for the arbitrator to decide whether or not it's good enough. The arbitrator bangs a gavel. That's the decision. And it's either the rules change towards something the NFLPA is more comfortable with that the arbitrator believes is more safe, or the arbitrator says what the league proposes to do is perfectly fine. So that's where this is going. This does not threaten to derail the season directly. What it threatens to do, if there is a fight between the league and the union, it threatens to put the players in a mindset where they're not willing to do everything they need to do, where they're not as careful as they need to be, where they just don't care as much as they should about ensuring that there isn't an outbreak and maybe like in a weird sort of way, rooting for the kind of outbreak that causes the season to collapse. Like, we don't want to be doing this anyway. What a shame. That would really be a shame if the season comes crashing down. Boy, that would be awful if that happened. You don't want the players to have that mindset. You need them to be all in with the eventual procedures. And keep this in mind. We wrote about this over the weekend. I was astounded when I saw the videos from the OL Mastermind Summit in Houston or in Dallas. Either way, one of the two current hotbeds, Dallas is where they had it. And look, I understand they tested the guys supposedly when they got there and they had all the things they were going to do. When you see the videos, no social distancing, not a whole lot of masks. And the video that was just horrifying to me, the hot wing eating contest where the guys are clustered together. I saw one guy with a mask. Even, even if you tested all those guys, again, you know, false negatives. We, we, do they get the results? Do they really know everybody's clean? Are they sure everybody is negative? It, it's just amazing to me. You know, even if you're testing, it doesn't mean – it's open season to cluster these guys together for a hot wing eating contest. And someone pointed out to me, and I think this is a very accurate observation. It shows that the players ultimately don't care. They're not worried about it. They're going to play. They're not going to opt out for the most part. Most of these guys are going to play and they're not afraid of getting the virus. The worst thing that happens in their mind is they get a week or two off. They don't have to play football for a game or two. Now, look, plenty of guys don't want to miss any time whatsoever, but these guys just don't care. They do not care. And they should. 
Most of the guys at this OL Mastermind Summit have a BMI north of 30. That puts them at risk of a potentially serious outcome if they develop COVID-19. So, look, I, I think what's going to happen is football will proceed at the NFL level. I think NFL football is the only football we're going to have this year when it's all said and done. And they are going to try their damnedest to make it work. And they're going to have a bunch of replacements ready to go in the event that there's an outbreak. And the real question is this, because I think they will just be plugging new guys in like they always do. Guys get injured all the time. Hey, somebody's hurt. Plug someone in. Well, somebody's on the COVID-19 list. Plug someone in. All 10 guys are on the COVID-19 list. Plug someone in. As long as they got warm bodies to plug in, they'll keep doing it. Here's the question. If someone dies, if a player dies or a coach dies of COVID-19, what happens at that point? Does it all just shut down or do they just keep going? And think about the contrast. March 11, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tests positive, and that shuts down basketball, hockey, and baseball in its tracks and everything else. Done. This time around, they fully expect to have positive tests. That Anywhere from 100 to 250 guys are going to test positive when they show up for training camp. They expect that. They accept that. The question is, what happens if, and hopefully it is if not when, someone dies in the NFL family as a result of the virus, will they keep going or will they pull the plug? And I have a feeling by the time that would happen, I mean, look at how we've just been gradually desensitized to this whole thing. We're just kind of living with it. We're kind of dealing with it. I think if someone would die, they probably just keep on going. Remember when Corey Stringer died of heat stroke back in 2001 during training camp, did they stop training camps and have an emergency assessment of appropriate procedures for practicing in the heat? Did they do all that right then? I know they did it for the next year, I don't think they immediately swooped it. Well, I know they didn't pull the plugs on training camps. Now, they may have made some adjustments on the fly, but they didn't say we have to stop everything we're doing. One of our players has died based upon, in part, the way we conduct training camp in this hot, humid weather with large men walking around carrying all this equipment as we expect them to, to perform in this kind of irrationally warm environment. Uh, they just kept going, and I have a feeling that's what will happen if it comes down to it. A couple of other quick points before we wrap this up. On the issue of opt-outs, and, and I, again, I don't know how many players will opt out, but there is a, an intriguing dynamic to keep an eye on. There's a group of players who have ultimate opt-out rights, and that group is larger than it usually is because the league has not been aggressive about signing rookie draft picks. If you don't sign them, you don't have to pay them. Everybody's been waiting. There's no off-season program to put them at risk. A lot of the rookies have not signed contracts. And they don't have to. They don't have to do it. And you could have, think about it. And we don't know what these rookies are thinking. A lot of them are thinking, I'm fine, I'm healthy, I'm not worried about it. But if the opt-out rights are going to be restricted for players, the, the rookies have the ultimate opt-out right. All the rookies have to do is not sign their contracts. And you know what? If they sit out the whole year and they don't sign a contract, you know what happens? They go back into the draft. That's a dynamic we have to at least keep an eye on. I'm not saying anyone's going to do it. I'm not saying anyone should do it. My point is this. At a time when the union and the league are haggling over the opt-out rights for veteran players who have contracts, the rookies who don't have contracts have an easy path. You just don't sign your contract. I'm not signing a contract. I'm taking this year off. If I was in college, I'd be taking this year off. 
right? Any anybody who think think about this. Anybody who entered early and skipped that last year of college, it'd be skipping that last year of college anyway, because chances are there's going to be no college football. So I, I think you're going to have some guys who decide to wait and see how this all plays out. And maybe they won't sign in time for training camp. And maybe they'll wait to see what it looks like when we get into early September. And maybe you will have some guys who say, you know what? It's in my own personal interest to just take this year off. I'll still make my money. I'll be fine. I'll still be a great player, but it's in my best interest to just not play football this year. And let's see what happens next year. You can't rule that out. And the point is for the rookies who haven't signed contracts, they have every right to say, we'll see you in 2021. Let me know when the draft is, throw my name back into the hat and we'll see how it all plays out. By Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, we'll know whether or not the franchise tag players have long-term contracts. There's also a transition tag player, Kenyon Drake of the Cardinals, Dak Prescott, the big name here, no indication that he and the Cowboys are working their way toward a final contract. Remember, the Cowboys have to offer him something that gets him to give up $69.08 million over the next two years, plus that year three, who knows what the Cowboys would do, $45 million under the transition tag, $54 million under the franchise tag, or let him walk away and, and let him hit the market. Yeah, if, if we're not sure what the guy's value really is, let him hit the market. You find out what his value is. Maybe you find out the hard way because somebody else pays him more than you will, but that may be what happens in 2022. Either way, Cowboys have to give him something that will convince him to give up his right to just say, I'm going year to year. I'll take my 31.4 million this year. I'll take my 37.68 million next year. And then year three, we'll see what happens. We laid out the numbers last week. He's in a better spot over the next few years than Patrick Mahomes is other than the $140 million injury guarantee that Mahomes got under his contract. But again, you can go out and buy that insurance. And Dak Prescott surely has. He's in a great position from a cash flow standpoint, flexibility standpoint, and ultimately ability to become a free agent by 2023 when Mahomes will still have nine years left under contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. One last point about franchise tags. There's a few players who still haven't signed their tender, A.J. Green, Yannick Ngakwe, Chris Jones. I wonder if the teams are thinking at all about rescinding the tender. Because at this point, who else is going to pay these guys what they are due to make under the franchise tag? Who else is going to give these guys what they want by way of a long-term deal right now? Maybe Chris Jones, right? Maybe somebody says, we'll bite the bullet over the short term to get a dominant defensive lineman who potentially could be one of the best defensive linemen in all of football will do that. But think about the Bengals situation. They typically don't keep guys who are franchise tag beyond their franchise tag year. If this is AJ Green's last year in Cincinnati, or if they may trade him halfway through the season, and they're looking at the balance sheets and they realize they're going to lose a ton of money. If you can clear up whatever the number is, $17 million, if you can just make that go away just by saying, Oh, go ahead, AJ, go be a free agent. First of all, good for the Bengals. Second of all, is AJ Green going to get that money from someone else at this point? Is he really going to get that kind of money? So just something to think about is this deadline looms. If these guys don't do long-term deals, will teams for the players who haven't accepted their franchise tenders consider rescinding the tender? It's happened three times in the last 20 years. Jeremiah Trotter, Corey Simon, and Josh Norman. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out this year. Um, given the the realities of the pandemic. Finally, before we go, 
I was very intrigued by the story that came out over the weekend about the New England Patriots resolving the grievances that had been filed by Antonio Brown and Aaron Hernandez to the tune of creating $7 million in cap space this year. And someone smarter than me pointed out the reality that those grievances got resolved after the Cam Newton contract became official. And the thinking is that during the entire Cam Newton negotiation, however long it lasted, chances are it didn't just come together in a day or two, that for an extended period of time, Newton and the Patriots were talking and the Patriots said, this is what we can pay you. Look at our salary cap. It's not like we can give you anything more. This is all we can do. $1.05 million base salary, veteran minimum. Yeah, we'll guarantee half of it. Yeah, we'll give you 700000 in per-game roster bonuses. Yeah, we'll work out this incentive package, $5.75 million, that basically requires them to be the league MVP and the Super Bowl MVP to get it. But that's all we can do. We just don't have the cap space. Look, here's look here, here, here here's our – we'll be completely transparent. Here's where we are. We, ha- we don't have the cap space. And then after the deal's done, they pick up $7 million in cap space. Look, to, just to tie the two ends of this edition of PFTPM together – Look at how Washington is handling its name change, how it's bungling its way through it. And look at what the Patriots did strategically to get Cam Newton at the best possible contract they could, and then clearing up $7 million in cap space after the ink was dry in his contract. Dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things, and functional teams do functional things. And that may be one of the reasons why the Washington franchise, under 20 years of ownership, by Daniel Snyder, haven't had a whole lot of success on the football field. Maybe this new name, whenever it comes out, will be the first step toward the team turning it around. But I have a feeling as long as Snyder's the owner, fans are going to be waiting and waiting and waiting some more for uh, the ability to feel like they did between 1982 and 1991 when they won three Super Bowl championships. That's it for Monday's PFTPM. We'll continue to monitor and report on all developments in the National Football League at ProFootballTalk.com. We'll do this again tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.